You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we're going to continue rocking and rolling. How many days is it until the draft right now? Like, it's freaking me out because I don't know, but I know it's close. It's like a little over a week, isn't it? Something like that. I'm so weird about this stuff. Everybody on planet Earth knows. Like I said before, it's the same thing with holidays. I know it's coming, but then I just, in my mind, I'm like, eh, it'll, it'll, it'll be here when it gets here. And then when it's like a day or two away... Then it's like, holy crap, it's like a day or two away? That's crazy. I don't know why I won't just accept that it's happening soon. I don't know. It's weird. Today on the docket, prospects 81 through 90. By the way, before we get there, just on the off chance we don't have time to talk about anything else, which is entirely possible, we talked about a couple days ago a prospect by the name of Keon White. Keon White, we only talked about, let's see, one, two, three, four days ago because he was the number 50 prospect. Number 50. There are 17 people who got invited to the combine. Keon White was one of them. Now, these invites are not just completely random. They're inviting him because they believe that there is a good chance that he's going to be going. You got to understand, like, and, and, and granted, some of these guys have turned down the invitations and would like to be with their family or whatever, but it's not, you know, 40 guys or 35 or whatever. Before they got to him. I mean, there are, we're talking like the top five guys, Christian Gonzalez and Bryce Young and all that. Michael Mayer's not there. Broderick Jones isn't there. I don't think, I don't have the list in front of me. I'm just saying, I don't think Lucas Van Ness is there, but number 50, Keon White is going to be there. So we always talk about that guy that flies up the draft boards last minute that everybody talks about like the last week and all of a sudden there's this massive amount of buzz. And then you're then here's here's the final step, by the way. You're gonna hear that some teams are very interested in Keon White and could potentially take him in the first round. By the way, Keon White has already met with the Green Bay Packers as part of their top th- uh, 30 visit. So you've already got that connection there. Obviously, if you're gonna take a guy, if you're considering very strongly taking a guy at 15, you probably want to get your hands on him. And, and I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to. But you know, let's just make very sure, especially since it's 15 this year, we have a chance at a true elite prospect. I'm, I'm just saying. By the way, my thoughts on Keon White, well, let me, let me read it because you can find it over at the Substack. By the way, again, Substack.com, no, Packernet.substack.com. I was like, what the heck is it? Anytime this stuff comes up, pop up that uh, article and you can see what my thoughts were. Plus, there's the PFF and the draft guide uh, comments that I brought up. But PFF liked them. My concern was relative inexperience at the edge position and the fact that he's a tweener, which always kind of freaks me out. You know, one of those guys that's a little bit small to be inside, a little bit too big to be outside. 24 years old, so he's a little bit older. But final paragraph over my thoughts. This is all uh, robot generated, by the way. It says, I'm hesitant to endorse White as a draft pick given the numerous uncertainties about his role and development. However, his athleticism and potential for growth may be enticing for a team willing to invest in development. Personally, I would prefer to explore other options with fewer question marks and more established track record at the position. However, if we're talking about Green Bay Packers, we're talking about process, we're talking about a position that they would love to draft in the first round, we're talking about extremely high upside, 6'5", 285, very athletic, 
We're talking about a guy with a 992 RAS. I'm just saying, man. Brace yourselves. Learn about the man. Name. Learn to love him. But anyways, today on the docket, we have another 10 prospects bringing us from 80, uh, 81 through 90. We have Tyler Scott, Rasheed Rice, Travis Hodges-Tomlinson, Darius Rush, Kaysan Boutte, Chris Smith, Noah Sewell, Henry Tooto, JL Skinner, and Blake Freeland. It's funny, I'm just, I just glance at Twitter trying to get to the right tab, and the first thing I see here is um, potential third-round steal, Tyler Scott, who is the first guy we're talking about. By the way, did I say Keyshawn? It's Keon. Keon White. It's just mental shorthand. By the way, the other thing I really didn't like about looking at Keon White is the fact that he was compared to Dayton Jones, which is exactly what I'm afraid of. Anyways, let's talk about a couple wide receivers, shall we? Mr. Tyler Scott, wide receiver out of Cincinnati, 5, we'll call him 5'10", 177. Again, the small receivers in this class are wild, man. I mean, the amount of guys that are just below the threshold. I'm not talking small like 190, 195, like 5'11", 195 small. I'm talking sub-180 guys. He's 5'9.5-ish. We're rounding up to 5'10". Anyways, 21 and a half years old, only one brother, so I mean, that's a failure. Started playing football at five like everybody else. Three-star recruit, Scott was number 67 athlete on the 2020 recruiting class, number 41 in Ohio. Overall, Scott is a work in progress in a few coachable areas, but high-end speed and short area suddenness allow him to consistently create his own separation. He adds immediate value as a gunner on special teams and has Tyler Lockett upside as a starting NFL receiver. Well, that's pretty promising. Second round grade, number 48 overall, which is crazy that we're at number 80 and we're still finding guys that have second round grades. Obviously, this is just Dane Brugler's assessment. PFF has their own assessment. Everybody has their own, but it's just kind of wild. You get through the top 100, and you, we can't even agree whether these are second-round, third-round, fourth-round, fifth-round prospects, which is a good thing. I mean, it's exciting because it's good to be able to go through 100 prospects and formulate your own opinion rather than going through 40 and then saying, okay, everybody else sucks. I don't know. But we'll start with special teams. Um, he has done a little bit of kick returning, not a ton. Seven returns, 18 average, which is pretty terrible. Listed him as a gunner. Um not great. I mean, he, most of his special teams work actually came in 2021, and he had an almost 80 grade, which is great. Then in 2022, he did about a third of the amount of work and had a 63 grade, so he didn't do as much, but certainly some potential there, I guess, although he is a little bit small, which is kind of not what you would expect from a gunner anyways. Um, overall, at Cincinnati here, he played three years. First year didn't really count, but he had a 53 grade, then a 65, then a 72, so it's a nice upward trajectory, although um, not super mega elite, but he's young, 21 years old. Maybe if he played a fourth year, he'd be in the 80s. As far as the um, consistency, it's not terrible, but he did have two bad games, one against Tulane, 50.8, one against USF, 47.6 grade. Otherwise, it's all 60s and 70s. He did only have 904 yards, but he had nine touchdowns on top of that. PFF has him listed as their number 14 wide receiver and gives him a third-round grade. Compares him to Marquise Goodwin. They also kind of break down some different things like versus zone versus man. Terrible grade against man coverage, which is similar to, I forget who it was, the last guy we covered that was a smaller guy. Man, they put hands on him and he was just dead. But his grade against zone coverage is an 80. So, you know, is what it is. Also, 4-4-4 speed is not terrible. His vert and his broad jump, 39.5 and uh, 11 foot, 1 inch broad jump are both extremely impressive. 
He added at his pro day a 425 short shuttle and a 6993 cone, which is a solid short shuttle. I mean, I really hate to be lazy here because I don't see a ton of issues with Tyler Scott. I just, I can't get past 177 pounds. I mean, even the 510 doesn't bother me as much because I one of my favorite aspects of him is his ability to sky up and just snag a pass. I mean, I think it was against Miami, Ohio. He jumps up and catches a contested pass with somebody, two guys draped on him. On him. One of them grabbed his face mask, and he still came down with it. But again, I'm, I'm looking at a guy, you're going into the NFL at 177 pounds, 5'10", you have 4'4", four, 4'4", four, four speed. You can't play against man coverage. Guys get their hands on you, and they just obliterate you. So you're strictly going to, what, go in the slot and just try to get schemed open and beat zone coverage only? And again, the other issue with these smaller guys, sometimes these smaller guys, you can kind of get over it because it's like, dude, he's got 4.39 speed. He can at least stretch the field or something. 4.4, four, you're not running away from anybody. So they can get their hands on you. You can't outrun them. It's not slow, but, uh, you know, at, at you got to provide something. And then I got excited about his hands because of those kinds of catches I talked about earlier. He has a 58 drop grade, 11.3 drop percentage. So he doesn't have good hands. I shouldn't say he doesn't. Have, I was thinking about this, the difference between, you know, good hands and drop. Can you have good hands and drop issues? I kind of think you can, depending on what you're talking about. Because he can make some incredible catches, but he also has concentration drops. So they're kind of two separate things, and he sucks at one of them. So there's just too many flags. I don't have an issue with Tyler Scott. I think his route running is fine. Route tree was extremely limited. He didn't do very much. It's not, you know, jaw-dropping. That's the other thing. you got to blow me away in some facet if you're going to be able to compete at 177 pounds, and he doesn't. He has average speed, average route running, average hand, average everything. So I cannot get into Tyler Scott. Could he end up becoming? Yeah, sure, I guess, but I'm not betting on it. Next up is Rasheed Rice, another wide receiver, this time out of SMU. Uh, Dane Brugler has him as the number 11 wide receiver in this class. Born in Philadelphia. Yeah, I know, I started singing it too. But uh, six foot 204 from North Richland Hills, Texas, 23 years old. Apparently he started playing football because he used to jump off his bike for some reason. I don't understand why. And so his dad bought him like a helmet and pads so that he can continue jumping off his bike but not killing himself, and then he started playing football. So there you go. Three-star recruit, number 102 wide receiver, 2019 recruiting class, number 108 recruit in Texas. Uh, his recruitment started to soar during his productive junior campaign and got offers from the likes of SMU. Uh, let's see here. Overall, Rice must prove he has NFL-level consistency in all areas to compensate for his average speed, but he is a ball winner with natural instincts after the catch. He can be a quality contributor early in his NFL career. Third round grade, number 82 overall. That average speed, by the way, is 4.51. Also added a 41-inch vert, 10.8 broad jump, and then at his pro day, 4.23 short shuttle, 7.023 cone. So short shuttle's fine, three cones a little slow. PFF actually has him as their number eight uh, wide receiver. Player comp is Adam Thielen. Another guy that struggles against man coverage has a 62.8 grade, but against zone, he has a nearly 90 grade, which is nice, but you're going to be playing against man and zone, so you can't just pick and choose here. PFF grades, four years at SMU. Uh, his grades were uh, 70, 67, and then 80, and then 86. Receiving grades 68, 68, 80, 86. Consistency, though, is horrible. It's, it's kind of weird, though. I, and it's, it, I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but it's just such a weird situation. Um, he's either average or elite. <laughs> 
Like he's got two bad games in the 50s. Cincinnati 50, Tulane 52. Then it's 63, 64, 68, 68. Then there's one game in the 70s, 73. And then it's 82, 83, 90, 91, 91. Half of his games were over 100 yards. Uh, USF was 99. And you have 122, 132, 147, 166, 180, and 191. 1,344 yards, 10 touchdowns in his season. So when they mention consistency, that's what they're one of the areas they're talking about. But at least he has somewhat normal size at 6'1", 204. Man, I tell you what, I don't know if it's just because I haven't seen a guy that's six foot tall yet in a long time or what, but uh, six foot one, two hundred four, Rasheed Rice. I'm a fan, man. He, I mean, he is a prototypical X receiver. I, I'll put it this way: if his measurables were a little bit better, I'd be stunned that this guy wouldn't be in the conversation as a first round prospect or at least a second round prospect. He plays big. He's got incredible hands. He looks really smooth. I like his movement. I just like everything about the guy. I mean, yeah, four, five, one, or whatever is not blazing fast, but who cares? That was Devonte speed. No, I'm not calling him Devonte. I'm just saying. I mean, and that's uh, what's his name, DeAndre Hopkins. Same thing. A lot of these number one guys are four or five guys. So, I mean, if you're talking third round for Rasheed Rice, that's a no-brainer. Everything I've seen about the guy, I like. And again, a lot of it is just the way he carries himself. He just plays and looks like that number one X receiver type of guy. Is there anything necessarily jaw-dropping? Not really. But, I mean, I'm looking at these guys in the first round going, I'm not sure I would take... I mean, let, let, let me be completely honest. I don't know that I would take, for example, Jalen Hyatt over Rasheed Rice. I'm all about the speed and all that, but he has a lot of red flags. It's, it's at least a, a conversation worth, worth having. Same with uh, Zay Flowers. And I, li- I think Zay is phenomenal in terms of like the route running and all that. But again, we got to have a conversation about the size and what it is we're trying to do with this team and whether or not this, these guys meet these thresholds and, and if they can survive in the NFL. Rasheed Rice checks all those boxes. It's really just a question. I mean, it's, it's, his floor is not as low. It's just a question of what is his ceiling. But um, yeah, I have, I have no issues whatsoever with Rasheed Rice. I was watching the Maryland game. I didn't even finish it. I saw one of his catches. I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm good to go. <laughs> Next up, we have cornerback. Travius Hodges Tomlinson. Apparently that is the former way he liked to be uh, referred to. Now he is just Trey Tomlinson, which makes it much simpler. Or Travius Trey Tomlinson, formerly Hodges Tomlinson, if that isn't confusing enough. But five foot seven and a half, 178 pounds out of Waco, Texas. Plays for TCU, if I didn't say that yet, 22.3 years old. Started playing football at age five. Three-star recruit, number 113 safety. Number 175 recruit out of Texas. Got 441 speed. Overall, Tomlinson size will immediately remove him from several draft boards, but his competitive nature and twitchy athleticism can give him a legitimate chance to win over an NFL coaching staff and earning a meaningful role. He projects best inside as a nickel cornerback, fourth or fifth round. Looking at uh, PFF, very up and down. Four years at TCU. First year didn't play a ton, but 68, 85, 66, 76. So his sophomore campaign was actually his best. Then he took a step back, and then he took a step forward, but not quite as high. Um, also, relatively consistent, but mostly 60s. It just kind of, I guess, I don't know, rounds up to a 76 or whatever. But his highest grade was actually a 74.7. Lowest was a 52. Most of his games are between, a, you know, they're in the 60s. Only five games weren't. But 62.8 run defense grade, 73 tackling grade, and a 78.4 coverage grade. Um, 
PFF lists him as the number four cornerback. What did uh, uh, Dane have him at? He had him at the number 19 cornerback, so definitely not a big fan. They have him as a player comp, Tim Jennings. Interestingly enough, they actually have uh, positional grades, which is kind of cool. Something I've been begging for to have on uh, the PFF site generally. But he has a 78.8 grade out wide, 77.7 in the slot. Grades out just as well in man and in zone, which is great. <laughs> it says here, defenses that specialize in soft zone coverages have to be intrigued by Hodges Tomlinson's ability to make plays working downhill. Well, I guess we got to look at him then, because, you know, freaking life. As far as my thoughts on the guy, um, I do like Travis Trey. Strangely enough, as small as he is, my favorite attribute is his ability to make plays behind the line of scrimmage, like these wide receiver screens and coming off the edge, tackling on the running play behind the line of scrimmage type stuff. But I feel like this is a waste of time because he's 5'8", 178. He's just, I, I know never say never. I get all that. But come on, man. He's so small. The only guys we have even close to that in terms of height would be Aaron Jones and Tyler Goodson, who are an inch taller. And Aaron Jones is 210 pounds. Tyler Goodson's about 200 pounds. This dude's 178. And he's a corner who's going to be going up against six foot four, 220-pound wide receivers. Who are faster than him. <laughs> Not many will be too, too much faster, 4-4-1 speed, but I'm just saying. And that's the thing, like, I, I like his, if, if he was, if he was 6 foot 200 pounds, he'd be like a solid 3.5 to 4 out of 5. It just, it, again, it just feels like a waste of time with him being as small as he is. Next up, we've got Mr. Darius Rush, another cornerback. Uh, Dane Brugler has him as the number 9 cornerback out of, or plays for South Carolina, out of Kingstree, South Carolina. Six foot one and a half, call it six foot two, thank you lord. 198 pounds, 23.1 years old, can't have anything nice in this life. Uh, one older brother, multiple sports, played mostly quarterback, three-star receiver recruit, Rush was the number 154 wideout in the 2018 recruiting class, number 21 recruit in South Carolina. 436 speed. Overall, Rush is not a secure tackler and must continue developing his instincts in off coverage, but he has the fluidity and length to turn, run, and stay stride for stride with receivers. His athletic cover traits give him an NFL starting potential as a man to man corner. As far as PFF, four years at South Carolina, really only played two as a starter. His grade 75 and then 78. Run defense, 59 both years. Tackling went from a 33 to a 63. Uh, pass rush, he didn't do very much. Coverage, 77 to an 80. That is the most important thing, although obviously we can't completely neglect the run defense aspect. But dude is 6'2", 200 pounds, 4'3", speed, and can cover. So far, so satisfied. Uh, consistency, not super great. He didn't, uh, doesn't look like he played a full season. I'm just gauging based on how many games I'm seeing here. But he has an 85, then an 80. Two games in the 70s, then three games in the 60s, two in the 50s, one in the 40s. So fairly inconsistent, which I think is somewhat common for guys like this. Just from the standpoint of obviously he's going to dominate at times. Again, 6'2", 200 pounds, 4'3", speed. But football isn't all just traits, right? So you go up against Georgia, you get some real solid football players, and sometimes you kind of feet get crossed, you have yourselves a bad day, and it kind of happens. You know how it is. Worth noting, fantastic special teamer. Has been pretty much his entire career. In fact, all four years, he's been a big special teams player. 419 total snaps on special teams over four years. Started off year one, 101 snaps, 62 grade. Then it went to a 74, 73. This past year, he had a 87.5 special teams grade. So another thing, too, 
when you're a big dude with big speed, potentially could be a gunner getting down the field and whatnot. I would love to have a solid gunner again. PFF, not as big of a fan. They have him ranked number 101 overall, 17th ranked cornerback. Uh, 49 grade in the slot, 80 grade out wide, which is what you would expect. Much better in man than zone, 68 zone grade, 77 man grade. Surprisingly, his vert and his broad jump are actually kind of bad. I don't know why that's surprising, but I guess it just is. Question, is there a way to just completely fake a 40 time? Because this dude doesn't run 4-3-6. <laughs> what in the world? I don't know. I, I, I just got done watching him in Kentucky try to chase a guy down. He couldn't do it. But not only that, he looked like he was running as fast as he possibly could, and this guy was jogging. So maybe that other guy runs 4-2-2. I'm not sure. It's possible. Um, keep your eyes open for, what's his name again? Baryon Brown, rookie speed demon. I don't know, man. It's one of those sort of just completely indifferent kind of things, but when you run 4-3-6 and you, you don't have makeup speed, I just I don't understand that. So I guess in my mind, I just kind of erase that and just look at him as a corner and say, what does he do? And I can't help but put him in that same category as some other guys that we put in this class of, you know, I mean, if his job is to run straight down the field, he does a fine job, but he can just get beat on some of these moves to the inside and outside. And, and again, when the speed isn't there to compensate for that, I don't know. I, I just wasn't um, necessarily blown away. I don't hate him. And again, special teams, fantastic. So I'm down to, you know, if we're talking late-ish round, five, six, seven, special teams player with potential corner upside, corner depth, maybe safety. I don't know. Maybe that'll be his thing. I'm not opposed to that. But I, just, I, I guess I was just, I overhyped myself for the what could potentially be with Darius Rush and that I didn't see it, which I should have expected because there's a reason why nobody seems to like the guy. Next up, we got Kayshawn Booty, who was at one point a uh, second round prospect. Apparently that is not so much the case anymore. I mean, anything can happen, but um, wide receiver out of LSU, um, Brugler has him as the 18th wide receiver on his list, which is shockingly low. Five foot eleven, one hundred ninety-five pounds, out of New Iberia, Louisiana. Twenty point nine years old. Kayshawn Booty, who was the oldest of five, was born and raised in New Iberia, seventy-five miles southwest of Baton Rouge. Five-star recruit Booty was the number two wide receiver in the twenty. I'm gonna just enjoy the heck out of that. Just wait till you see the T-shirt if we draft this guy. He's the number two wide receiver in the twenty twenty recruiting class. Behind Ohio State's Julian Fleming, number one recruit in Louisiana, number 24 overall nationally, which is pretty fantastic. 4 5 40 time. Uh, let's see. Overall, Booty is a confounding evaluation because he shows the athletic talent to be an NFL weapon, but his effort level doesn't always match his ability. And most scouts view him as a slot only prospect. Though he has NFL starting skills, the unpredictable nature of his game complicates his pro projection. Fourth round grade. PFF puts him as the number 12 wide receiver at 108 overall. Yikes. They even go on to say Booty oozes potential as a receiver, but he just hasn't been consistent. There are games where he looks like an NFL star and others where he looks completely disinterested. That's so weird. Player comp is Torrey Smith. Not a bad one. Where he wins suddenness. What is his role? X receiver. Where can he improve ball skills? 59 receiving grade versus man coverage, 66 receiving grade versus zone. Not good either way. And then, uh, yeah, actually, 
I, I think probably part of the reason is he was a decent receiver and then completely fell off this year. His grades three time, three years at LSU, 73, 76, and then 64.8. His grades are actually kind of terrible. Um, he had an 80 grade against Florida, 76 against Southern U, 73 against Georgia. Then he had two grades in the 60s, and then 59, 58, 56, 55, 54, and 49. Half of his games, maybe slightly more than half of his games, are below average. That's crazy. But, again, you're getting a guy that's not even yet 21 years old and has shown a ton of talent. Uh, I tell you what, these must be some pretty serious red flags with uh, Mr. Kayshawn Boutte. Because I think he's pretty great. By the way, the 4-5 speed thing? No chance. He doesn't play like he's got 4-5 speed. Not at all. So, I mean, it's it's hard to give an opinion on a guy when the whole thing is like, yeah, he's great, but sometimes he's not great, and we think it's because he doesn't really like put in the effort. It's like, well, okay. I like the great part. I don't like the part where he doesn't play very well, like on purpose. But I didn't see it, so we'll just leave that for what it is, I guess. Next up, we got Chris Smith. Um, Christopher Smith, excuse me. It took me forever to find the guy because apparently he's Christopher Smith. Listed as the number nine safety, five foot ten and a half, one ninety two, safety for Georgia. If I didn't say that, out of Atlanta, Georgia, twenty two point nine years old, oldest of two boys, born and raised in Atlanta. Started sports at age six. Attended a charter school and uh, that had players such as Arden Key, four star recruit, number thirty cornerback in the twenty eighteen class, number thirty four recruit in Georgia. Five spots behind his Happer. Uh, Hapeville teammate, defensive end Kingsley Enigbare. How about that connection, folks? 46240 is going to be the thing that absolutely killed him, which crushed me because I'm a huge Chris Smith fan. That was like my first, one of my first draft crushes. I'm not sure where he fell in line with uh, some of these tight ends in uh, Bijan, but I remember going through the safeties. It was the whole Brian Branch thing, and I just, I didn't like it. So I was like, I wanted to find a safety that could do the things that I wanted Branch to do to, to fully flesh out what I'm trying to say about what I don't like about Branch. And then I watched Antonio Johnson and some of these other guys, and nobody's doing it. And finally, and Chris Smith at the time was like the fourth safety in line, fifth maybe. And I watched him, and I'm like, that's the dude. That's the guy that does what I'm talking about. But 5'11", 192, 462, uh, yeah, 462 speed, it's going to kind of raise some eyebrows, I guess. But uh, three-year starter, played free safety in Kirby Smart's 3-3-5 base scheme. Also spent some time in the star nickel position. Overall, Smith looks more like a cornerback than a safety with his smallish body type, but he is a talented center fielder with read reactability from depth and opportunistic ball skills. Although his size will eliminate him from several teams' draft boards, that seems surprising at 5'11", he has NFL starting potential with the right fit. I would think the speed would have more to do than his size. I think the typical safety is like six foot two hundred, so he's an inch and a half short and eight pounds light. I'm not buying that. Uh, special teams, he did have a seventy-five grade, but that was really just based on his one game against Georgia. Uh, Georgia. Everything else was, or against LSU, he plays for Georgia. Everything else was average. Uh, defensively, grades are pretty consistent. He played five years. First two are a little bit lesser, but anyways, 63, 70, 74, 77, 76 have been his grades, but the consistency is subpar. Um, I hate to scare you, but it kind of reminds me of Darnell Savage, where it's like bad game, bad game, a bunch of low average games, two games in the 70s, and then 192 against Oregon. So elite, good, good, 
and then every game is average except for two bad games. If it was Savage, it'd be a little bit more bad, but you get you get what I'm saying. There's like that one good game, everything else is eh. By the way, they list him as right cornerback in every single one of these games. Did, did, did the man play safety? They did that with somebody else, too, and he absolutely played safety. I don't know what PFF is doing. They're slipping. They have him as the number 10 ranked safety, 131 overall. They just hate everybody we're covering today. Uh, got him comp to Ronaldo Hill, where he wins play speed. So there you go. I, t- I tell you what, dude, if the guy can play with speed, I have no issue with him. You're telling me he wins with play speed? So the speed isn't an issue, then he's my guy. I don't care. What's his role? Deep safety, where he can improve muscle mass. Run defense grade 86, tackling grade 66, deep grade 80, and then box grade 69. No, it's not nice. Strangely enough, their note says, Smith is the top pure free safety on the PFF draft board with the ability to be more than just that. Well, then why do you have him as the number 10 guy? You're a bunch of idiots. Literally the last guy in this entire thing. It's like their number, their last ranked save. I think you need to get your stuff together. You don't know what you're talking about. Anyways. Anyways, nothing really has changed for me as far as my affinity for Mr. Chris Smith. I really like the guy. I understand if there are concerns about his uh, measurables. Fair enough, but I like the way he plays. Uh, let's sneak one more in here. Dane Brugler's number 12 linebacker. Not a huge fan. I think we've covered maybe three so far. So, anyways. Going by the consensus. Oregon linebacker, six foot one and a half, two forty-six out of Malaymi American Samoa. He is twenty-two years old, youngest of five kids. Grew up playing uh football in a beach village in American Samoa. Isn't it all a beach village? I don't know. He is, by the way, uh Penny Sewell's brother. Went to the same school as him. Uh that's not it though. He has an older brother, Gabe, played linebacker at Nevada, older brother brother. Neffy was an undrafted free agent linebacker out of Utah in 2022. He's currently with the Saints, so there's going to be three Sewells in the NFL. That's wild. And then his older brother, Pinay, was an offensive tackle. We already know that, playing with the Lions. His uncle, Isaac Sopoaga, was a nose tackle at Hawaii. Picked in the fourth round of the 2004 NFL draft. Played 11 seasons in the NFL. Uncle Richard Brown played 10 seasons in the NFL at linebacker. Sewell is also very close with his mother, Arlene, and older sister, Gabriella. All right. Overall, Sewell doesn't have the tape of a modern-day playmaker with clear limitations in man coverage, but he thumps downhill with the physicality, pedigree, and competitive spirit to make plays between the tackles. He projects as a rookie backup who can become a valuable role player off the ball on early downs and rushing off the edge on passing downs. Has him as a fourth or fifth rounder. PFF has him as the eighth-ranked linebacker, 147 overall. Says he's a true freak freak athlete. Speed and explosiveness at his size are a pleasure to watch. Player comp Zach Brown. Where he wins manhandling. What is his role? Blitz heavy linebacker slash edge. Where he can improve coverage and awareness. They go on to say schemes that blitz their linebackers and use them as whole players will covet Sewell's services. All others should look elsewhere. In other words, we should look elsewhere. Um, I did watch him and um, he's right on that, that three in terms of just kind of indifference. He's a linebacker. That's about it. Didn't necessarily see anything special. Didn't see anything horrible. Just perfectly down the line. That's that's all I got for you. And it sounds like he's not a great fit for us. So we'll leave it at that. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break? Uh, Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find uh, them at fertilegroundranch.org. Also, please be sure to check out some of the t-shirts that have been coming out. Thank you to uh, whoever it is that bought the t-shirt yesterday. We'll take a break. 
We'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Next up, we have another linebacker, this time the fifth-ranked linebacker by Dane Brugler, so much more liked by him, this time out of Alabama. His name is Henry To'o-To'o. I guess that makes sense. To'o-To'o. Just not easy to say. Six foot one, 227 pounds from Sacramento, California, 22.3 years old, second oldest of eight kids, Samoan and Tongan descent, grew up in South Sacramento. His father played linebacker in high school, uh, had an offer from San Diego State before off the field trouble. His dad started training Henry and his brothers at a young age as a way to keep them from gang related trouble. Went to Burbank High School. Four-star recruit To'o To'o was the number three outside linebacker 2019 recruiting class, number seven recruit in California, second highest rank behind Kayvon Thibodeau. Overall, you wish To'o To'o were longer, bigger, and stronger, but he is a right-place-right-time type of player because of his instinctive run fits and play range. He has the football smarts and trigger to see the field on defense as an NFL rookie. I do like the sound of that. PFF has him ranked as the ninth best linebacker, number 169 overall. Player comp to uh, Justin Durant. They have him as a tone-setting weak side, weak side linebacker who can improve his diagnosing. 61 pass rush grade, 59 tackling grade, 66 t- uh, coverage grade, 72.1 run defense grade. And they say he's a physical player who can handle the rigors of the NFL game, just don't expect much of a playmaker. He did kind of... so. He first went to Tennessee, did not have good grades. He started right out of the gate, by the way. 59 grade, 51 grade. Then he goes to Alabama, gets a 50 grade. He doesn't grade out well in any category. His highest run defense grade was a 63. Highest tackling was a 62. Highest pass rush grade was a 58. His highest highest coverage grade was a 62. The other ones were 44 and 38. 
And then this year, he had a 70 grade with 72 run defense, 59 tackling, 61 pass rush, 66 coverage. So really, run defense was the only thing that was good and barely. And then when you look at his consistency, it's not good. 70, 70, 70, 80, cool. 40, 60, 40, 60, 50. 70, 80, 50, 50. So he's been bad for three straight years and then has a year where half of the year he plays pretty bad, but he ends up getting a 70 grade because some of the games were quite good. That just makes me extremely nervous. Well, I didn't want to like the guy. (laughs) So it would be so easy to just not like. Granted, I did watch one of his few good games. Uh, It was against Texas. Not elite. It was just a 73 grade. He had several that were better than that, but um, did also watch the Utah State game, which was his third best. But I do like him. I don't know what the problems are that make him so inconsistent, and and by inconsistent, I mean usually not great. Um, But I think my favorite attribute about him is the guy just gets shot out of a cannon. I mean, it, it's weird. You don't think about, like, change of direction for a linebacker as much as, like, a wide receiver or running back. But he'll be looking this way, and he'll just shoot at a diagonal or at a 90-degree angle. Like, he needs to go in that direction, and he just pops. Zero to 60, he's going in that direction. He plays with ferocity. He looks like he's trying to hurt people. So I, I, will, I will assume that it's probably not going to be a uh, dominant player just based on all of the negatives. Also, he has played a lot of special teams. Nothing super great there either. But I just feel like there's something there, man. He's a, he's a talented, talented guy. I just, maybe he could get coached up or something. I don't know. Next up, we got another safety, this time by the name of J.L. Skinner. Brugler has him as the number six safety on his uh, list. J.L. Skinner, safety out of Boise State, six foot three and a half, 209 pounds out of San Diego, California, 22 years old. JL is actually his name, not an abbreviation. They named him two letters, J and L. Born in Virginia before moving to San Diego in fifth grade. Three-star recruit. Skinner was number 41 athlete in the 2019 class. Number eight recruit in California. Recruited initially as a defensive back. Wide receiver by others. Uh, hasn't done really any testing, so I don't know anything aside from his measurements, which, of course, he's a big dude. 6'4", 209. I'm guessing. Well, he had a left pec injury is why he didn't, but y- you also wonder if that would have been a negative. But uh, he listed as a boundary safety and defensive coordinator Spencer Danielson's 425 base scheme. Overall, Skinner needs to improve his anticipation and tighten up his take on, ta- take on and tackling, but he is a glider with the physical toughness to play in the box and range to cover tight ends. His best fit is as a nickel safety or low hole player with the upside of an NFL starter. Third, fourth round grade, number 92 overall. PFF has him as the number eight ranked uh, safety, 116 overall. Comps him to J. Ron Curse, where he wins tackle radius, what's his role slot, where he can improve muscle mass. 83 coverage grade, 80 deep grade, 74 tackling grade, 67 box grade, 65 run defense grade. Skinner is exactly the build that the slot corner position is trending toward. Just don't expect much versatility. All right, fair enough. Four years at Boise State. First year didn't really do much, but in year 257 and then 75-74, uh, run defense grades are in the 60s. Tackling grades are 80s and 70s. Coverage grade 80, and then this year 83.3. Um, as far as his 74 overall grade, his highest is a 76. He's got four grades in the 70s. Uh, the rest are 60s, with the exception of a 58 against Utah State and a 51 against Air Force. So not elite grades, but relatively consistent, I guess, 60s, 70s. Does play special teams, but he's right there in the low 60s, like everybody else or most other guys. And yeah, I'll just say I'm all the way out on J.L. Skinner. Um, just not interested. He just 
seems like he doesn't want to be out there. Six foot four, two ten, and you don't want to hit anybody. He had a free shot at a quarterback and just stood there. I that that was I was done at that point. No chance. No chance. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to our final prospect of the day, number ninety, Blake Freeland, listed by Dane Brugler as the number thirteen offensive tackle. Blake Blake Freeland. I don't know why. Of all the names, this is the one I can't say is Blake. Blake Freeland, BYU, six foot seven point seven. So call him six point eight. 302 pounds out of Harriman, Utah, 21.9 years old, four sisters, multi-sport athlete, played quarterback, avid basketball player, blah, 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 played with Puka Nakua. Three-star recruit, Freeland was the number 105 athlete in the 2019 recruiting class, number nine recruit at Utah. His father, James, played linebacker at Ricks College in BYU, threw for the Cougars track team. Mother, Debbie, was a dual-sport athlete at BYU, playing volleyball and earning All-American honors in basketball. Older sister, Sierra, was on the BYU track team 2017-2022 to and participated in the shot put, discus, javelin, and hammer throw. She would kick the crap out of you. Freeland accepted his invitation to the 2023 Senior Bowl. Overall, Freeland's inexperience and the lesser-developed aspects of his game, leverage points, play strength, etc., will be exposed by NFL talent. But he has the feet, length, and upside to warrant being a mid-round draft pick. He is a work in progress who should eventually compete for an NFL team's number three tackle spot and potentially more. Wow, maybe someday you can be a number three? Look at you, Blake. Grade fifth round. PFF has Blake Freeland as the number 10 offensive tackle. Player comp Michael Schofield. Primarily played left tackle, played some right tackle back in 2020. Where he wins feet, what's his role? Swing tackle, outside zone scheme. Where can he improve? Play strength. 90.7 pass blocking grade, 87.9 run blocking grade, 90.5 zone grade, 61.9 gap grade, uh, true pass set grade, 81.5. He does have some pretty elite measurables, obviously being 6'8", being one of them. 4.98, 40-yard dash time is fantastic. 746 three cone looks like it's about the 90th percentile. His broad jump of 10 feet puts him at about the 99th percentile. His vert at 37 inches um, puts him at the 100th percentile. But I do like the way his PFF looks pretty much from every angle. Um, the grades are solid, consistent, and improving. 69 became an 81, became an 81.7, became a 91. Um, and then the consistency throughout, we already talked about run blocking 88, pass blocking 90 grade. But uh, his worst game was a 66.4 grade. He only had two games in the 60s. Six games were in the 70s. One, two, three, four. The rest of his five games are all in the 80s, including his 89.9 grade against Stanford, basically a 90. Gave up zero sacks, three hits, four hurries. So I like Blake Freeland, but I can see kind of what everybody's talking about. First of all, I absolutely love his movement ability. He reminds me of, I wish I could remember the names of the people we talked about, but somebody we talked about earlier, dude can fly down the line. I see what they're saying about zone. He also seems relatively strong, but it also feels like if, if you're just talking heads up, mano y mano, I don't think he wins very much. I didn't see guys have a real hard time kind of getting inside or outside of him. You know, they lock horns and they use a little swipe move to get to the inside and it just kind of throws them off. Like, yeah, I, I think the technique is wildly lacking. And I don't know, maybe he can't do those things being 6'8 or whatever. You know, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of things that you got to be able to do. Maybe he just can't do it. I don't know. But I do really like Blake Freeland. Um, and I wouldn't have an issue taking him. Again, just, just from the uh, ability and upside. And again, his ability to move and, and 
fly to wherever he needs to go and block really well while on the move makes it in and of itself intriguing to me. But anyways, there you go. That is now 90 prospects that we've got uh, looked at. Tomorrow will officially be 100 prospects. We've got Byron Young out of Tennessee, DeMarvion Overshone, A.T. Perry, popular name, Michael Wilson, Jalen Duncan, Eli Ricks, Tanner McKee, uh, Jartavius Martin, and Jalen Jones. Oh, Tyler Steen, one additional guy in there. Anyways, uh, before we sign off, I want to go over something. We talked about Keon White. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep banging this drum a little bit more, and you'll be hearing more about him, I'm sure, who was invited to the draft despite being, you know, the number 50 or whatever, whatever. There's an article here in which uh, a guy by the name of Kevin Cole tries to build a more useful NFL big board. And essentially what he does is he says, look, pretty much every single NFL big board is position agnostic. That is to say, it doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't look at positional value. It just says who's better than who. So if Bijan is the third best player in this draft, he'll be third on the big board. And it's up to you to kind of figure out on your own that, um, yeah, he's a running back, so you wouldn't actually draft him third. And his point is, well, then what's the point of putting this board together if it doesn't actually correlate to the board you would use to draft somebody? Makes sense to me. So he built his own big board. On it, he has their sort of traditional rank. He has their grades via SIS and then looks at um, NFL value, primarily looking at, for example, contract value to kind of determine, uh, I guess, NFL value. I, let, me, let me read it, and if it makes sense to you, then it does. If it doesn't, then just whatever. He says, rather than continuing to complain on social media about what others are doing, I decided to build my own big board for the 2023 NFL Draft, leveraging the outstanding prospect grades from Sports Info Solutions, which you can find on the draft website. Um, what I'm doing here is combining the best of the prospect grading world with analytical concepts of NFL value and surplus value based on position, which has been a big focus of my own research. I ranked the top 100 players by projected NFL value, which I define as the equivalent salary you would expect for a second contract based on the number grading from SIS, which comes with a description for each grade cohort. I then weigh the projected NFL value and annual per year contract against the designated contract cost for each draft slot for the first four years of the player's contract. No matter the contract cost, teams no matter the contract cost, teams what to draft players with the biggest projected NFL value. But the cost declined significantly by draft uh, position, greatly affecting the cost, including values to NFL teams. So if you know, you know. Anyways. It's interesting enough just to kind of give you the list, but you might also recognize a name because although obviously what you would expect is the quarterbacks are much higher and pretty much everything else is the same aside from the fact that Bijan drops and guys like Ed Rushers will probably move up a little bit. But here's the top 10. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Hendon Hooker, then Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Peter Skaronsky, Nolan Smith, Paris Johnson. And that's him even acknowledging, you wrote in the description, for example, for Anthony Richardson, low-end starting quarterback. Even at that, the value is higher. He's at number 32 overall, number three on this big board in terms of, uh, I guess you would call it, expected NFL value. Then he goes on to give the rest of the 32. You have Tyree Wilson, makes sense. Miles Murphy, another edge rusher, makes sense. Then Keon White at 13. Right around the area that the Packers are picking, he put together a big board that focuses on essentially positional value 
and Keon White falls right in this range. Now, granted, it looks like he pulled this from a list that has Keon White uh, kind of as a late first, early second round prospect, but that's not too different than 50 anyways. That's 50 as a mid-second round prospect. So based on positional value, which the Packers do tend to do, right? You look at the first round. Granted, they did draft a linebacker last year, but generally speaking, they want edge rushers, defensive tackles, quarterbacks, things that produce high value, corners. It's just surprising how much I'm seeing his name in a very short period of time every time I look at stuff. After that is Jackson Smith and Jigba at 14, then Kalijah Kansi. Then Devin Witherspoon, he's actually 7th, but he gets dropped because he's a corner, not as high a value as you'd find at defensive tackle or edge rusher. Then Christian Gonzalez, then Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Jordan Addison, then Joey Porter, Emmanuel Forbes, then Michael Mayer. Falls, obviously, because he is a tight end, but very high quality. Then you get Jake Hayner, Tanner McKee, then my man Will McDonald, B.J. Ojolari, again, a bunch of edge rushers. And then dead last is Bijan Robinson who is the third best player in the draft according to this particular list, but because of the positional value, drops to 32nd. So again, this is me reminding you to go check out Keon White and make sure you familiarize yourself with him and understand that this is a very real possibility so that you aren't sitting there as I was with Rashawn Gary and everybody else with my head in my hand saying, what the heck are we doing? Sound good? All right. I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you later tonight. Have a good one. Bye-bye.